Colossians 4, 7 to 18, hear the word of the Lord. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Iriapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. As you go around the world, one of the things you need to learn if you're going to be traveling and interacting with people is how to do greetings, how to greet people when you see them and how to take leave of people. In the United States, our customs have gotten less and less formal over the years. And so we might wonder, what do you mean how to greet people? You just say, hey, and give them a fist bump, and then you move on. But in other countries and other cultures, it's much more stylized. It's much more formal. And I had to learn this uh, when I was living in other countries, because in much of Latin America, it's, it's, it's formalized. When you go into a room, uh, the, the best thing, unless you're, unless there's some reason not to do it. The best thing is to go around and individually greet everybody by name. And then when you're taking leave, you need to do the same thing. So you need to prepare, uh, depending on how large the assembly is, you need to leave enough time. If you want to leave a half an hour from now, you start taking your leave now because you go around the room and you take leave of everybody by name. And then if you encounter somebody during the day, you ask about their family, you ask about their spouse, uh, and it's amazing how they're able to remember uh, each other's names. And then before you take leave, you say, please greet so-and-so, you refer to the spouse uh, and maybe the children by name, and they'll say, I'll be happy to do that. And this is this formality. At first, I found it kind of overwhelming and a bit oppressive, and then I found it to be very delightful. Because then when you get home, you say, well, Sandy, I saw so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and they all send their Greetings to you. And I realized that this is actually a very beautiful way to put a priority on relationships. That's what greetings and, and leave-taking is all about. It's, it's putting a priority on people, putting a priority on relationships and naming people by name and interacting with them personally. 
And it's remarkable that in this short letter that we've divided into four chapters, such a significant portion of this short letter is devoted to leave-taking, the final greetings. There are greetings to certain people, and there are greetings from certain people. And we're going to meet a number of folks today, so this is kind of a, a who's who uh, in terms of Paul's and Timothy's relationship with the Colossian church. Uh, first, we meet a couple named Tychicus and Onesimus, two men. And these were the newsmen. These were the letter carriers. These were the ones who were taking the letter to the Colossians from Paul and Timothy. And also Tychicus took the letter to the Ephesians, and they also probably took the letter to Philemon. So these were the the newsmen, the letter carriers. And Tychicus was from the province of Asia, where Colossae was. He had visited Paul in Rome, and he was heading home. So it was convenient for Paul to give the letter or the letters to him. He also had accompanied Paul on his last trip to Jerusalem, and Paul's last trip to Jerusalem was in order to hand over an offering on the part of the the non-Jewish churches, the Gentile churches, for the poor in Jerusalem and in Judea. And the churches of Asia entrusted their offering to this man, Tychicus, to go along with Paul and to give that offering in Jerusalem. He was also going to be the bearer of personal news. You see that in this this letter to to the Colossians, there isn't a great deal of personal information. In Philippians, there's more personal information. But here, there's not that much personal information because he says, well, Tychicus will tell you all about us. We don't need to write it down because you will have a firsthand account. And so Tychicus, how he appears in the New Testament and how he appears here is as a man upon whom one could always rely. Paul and Timothy could rely on Tychicus. The churches in Asia could rely on Tychicus. He was a reliable man, one to whom they could entrust important matters. Then we meet Onesimus. I'm not going to say much about Onesimus because we're going to look next week, Lord willing, at a letter that is all about Onesimus that was a letter that was sent along with this letter to the Colossians. But here it says, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. So he was from Colossae. He was a Colossian. And Paul, what he he does here in mentioning Onesimus is he exalts him. He, He calls him a faithful and beloved brother. Hold that idea. We'll learn more about Onesimus, Lord willing, next week. But he was also one of the the newsmen because it says they, in verse 9, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So those are the two newsmen. Those are the two letter carriers. And then we have six, six who send their greetings. Now, this is interesting because Paul and Timothy, or at least Paul, had never visited Colossae. But still here were some that were sending greetings. The first one we meet is Aristarchus in verse 10. Aristarchus was from Thessalonica, and that's on what we would call Greece. He had been in danger with Paul in Ephesus when there was a riot. He had accompanied Paul on the last visit to Jerusalem, and he had also sailed with Paul from Jerusalem when Paul was imprisoned, and he sailed with him toward Rome and perhaps went all the way to Rome. 
he, he may have remained with Paul the whole time that Paul was in Rome during this imprisonment, and somehow or another, he joined Paul as a fellow prisoner. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. We don't know if he was also arrested or if he voluntarily became a prisoner in order to serve Paul's needs. So who is Aristarchus? Well, he appears as a man who step, steps up when things are going badly. He's the one you want next to you when a riot is going on. He's the one you want next to you when you're being sent as a prisoner to the other side of the Roman Empire. Here's, here's a man that you want with you as you are imprisoned, uh, uh, falsely accused in Rome. A man who steps up when things are going badly. That's the first one. And then there's Mark. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, Mark and Paul had had a famous and apparently well-known falling out. When Mark was a young man, he went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and he bailed on them halfway through. And then, when they were going to go out again, Barnabas says, hey, let's give Mark another chance. And Paul said, no way. He cannot go with us. He bailed on us the first time. You can read about that at the end of Acts chapter 15. Well, here we learn a detail. We didn't know this from Acts, but here we learn a detail that he was Barnabas's cousin. And Barnabas wanted to give him another chance. And he was so intent on giving him another chance that Barnabas was willing to separate from Paul. Paul took Silas and went his way. Barnabas took Mark and went his way. Now, clearly... Barnab or clearly, Paul and Mark had reconciled by this point because Mark was with Paul in Rome. However, his reputation may not have recovered completely among the churches that Paul started. Maybe the rumor was out, oh, Mark, oh, we know about Mark. He's the one that, that bailed out halfway through that missionary journey. And so there is this parenthetical statement. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, then it says, concerning whom you have received instructions. We don't know from whom, maybe Paul himself. If he comes to you, welcome him. So whatever you might have heard about the past, you're to welcome him now. So who is Mark? Oh, by the way, Mark is the one who, since the beginning, has been, has been credited with the writing of the second gospel that we call the gospel of Mark. So who is Mark? Mark appears as a man who lost his nerve when he was young, and he bailed. But under patient, loving discipleship of a more mature believer, he became an effective minister of the gospel. Now, we have someone named Jesus, verse 11, Jesus, who is also called Justice. That's all we know about him that he had the common name of the day, jo uh, Joshua, Jesus, and he was also called Justice. But we do know about him that he was Jewish because Paul in verse 11 says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And so at least we can say about Jesus called Justice that he was a faithful Jew working in favor of the ancient hope of the people of God for the coming of the kingdom. And Paul says, these are the only three Jewish people I have on my team at this point. At other times, he had other Jewish people, but he mentions these. He says, these are the only ones I have on my team at this point. And he said, they are an encouragement to me. They are a comfort 
to me. And that could mean a couple of things. It could mean that they were simply very comforting and encouraging to Paul on a personal level. Or it could be this. We know how much Paul loved his, his people, how he loved the descendants of the Hebrews, the Jewish people, and how he longed for them to, to come into the kingdom of God fully through faith in Christ. And so here, these three were an encouragement to him because he could see in them that God was still faithful to his ancient people and he was still working in them and still working through them. Then we have, we have Epaphras. Epaphras uh, shows up in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you. Here's another Colossian, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Ereapolis. Now, he was actually the founder of the churches in that area. We, we learned that from chapter 1. He was the missionary to his own area, and he's the one who evangelized Colossae and Iriapolis and Laodicea, uh, some towns that were within about 10 miles of each other. He was, in, in, in our terms, he was their pastor. He was the pastor of that region, and he had visited Paul in Rome, and he had joined him in prison. It doesn't say that here, but in Philemon, we learned that he also was with Paul in prison. So he may have been not only the emissary from Paul to his home region to preach the gospel, but also possibly sent by those churches to minister to Paul in Rome, even voluntarily joining with him in prison to, to minister to his needs. But he didn't forget about his churches. What was he doing? Even though he was absent, he was laboring. He was wrestling constantly for them in prayer. And Paul recognizes that labor, that he labored and worked and prayed on their behalf. So who is Epaphras? Epaphras appears as a devoted pastor who spent his life in favor for the benefit of the churches to whom he ministered. Then we have Luke. We learn about Luke, something that we don't know except from this, this, uh, this one-liner here. And that's in verse 14. We learn about his profession. Luke the beloved physician greets you. So we learn that he was a physician. He was a professional. He was an educated man. And he also, all throughout the history of the, the Christian church, he is considered to be the author of the third gospel. So we have two of the authors here, Mark and Luke. So who's Luke? Luke appears as a professional who was willing to use his skills to support missions. And then we have Demas. Demas in verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. That's all we get about Demas. But we find out more about Demas elsewhere. From 2 Timothy chapter 4, we find that Paul was in, in Rome again. He was in prison again. And as far as we know, he didn't get out of that alive. Paul was saying, this is it for me. I finished the faith. I finished the, the course, the race, I'm done, and I'm, I'm ready to go. And he said he had been abandoned by most people at that point. And we read about Demas. He says about Demas, that Demas left me. And it says that he left Paul, he abandoned Paul, because of his love of the present age. 
his love of the present age. And it looks like he had served Paul along with Paul for years very effectively and very faithfully. And there may be, there may be a, a very subtle question about Demas even at this point because the only thing he says about Demas is, and Demas. He doesn't say anything else about him. And then we find that Demas abandoned the course. So Demas appears as a man who served sacrificially for years, but then he gave up. You might say he's the opposite of Mark. Mark blew it early on, but he came back. Demas began well, but apparently he finished poorly. And then we have two who received greetings. Now, remember, they'd never visited these churches, but they sent greetings to a couple of people that they knew in verse 15. First, there's a general greeting. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, 10 miles down river from Colossae, and to Nympha and the church in her house. So first, a general greeting to the Laodiceans, and then he mentioned Nympha. Nympha apparently is a feminine name, And she hosted a church in her own house. And in order to do that, she had to have a house of some size. We don't know how big the church was, but it had to be at least big enough to have a church. And and the fact that she's the head of the house may indicate that she was a widow, but a widow of some means. So how does Nympha show up? Nympha appears as a well-to-do woman who used her resources to prosper the church of Jesus Christ. And then we have this interesting interlude here in verse 16 where Paul says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Now, we don't have that letter that Paul wrote to the Laodiceans. Some people later in church history tried to make it up to fill in the blank here, but we don't have that original letter. It was lost to us. But it's interesting that Paul would say, Do a letter exchange a letter exchange after this letter is read in each assembly. And that's significant for a couple of reasons. The first reason is this. In the assembly of the people of God for worship, the scriptures were read. That's what happened in the synagogues. The people assembled and the scriptures were read. And here Paul is saying when you are in the assembly, when you're in the synagogue, when you are together for worship, Read my letters. And it's also significant because he recognized, so here he's putting them on par with the the reading of the Old Testament, and also he is recognizing that his letters were not simply to local bodies. He was recognizing that his letters had more universal authority. So he's saying what I wrote to you in Colossae also applies in Laodicea. What I wrote to them applies also to you. So there is a self-awareness on Paul's part. As we saw previously, he was aware that he was the instrument that God had chosen to get the gospel revealed to the Gentiles. And he was realizing that his letter writing activity was an authoritative activity that would be entering into the the scriptures that the people of God would would be reading and following. And then there's one more greeting. Curious, right before he signs off, and say to Archippus, say to Archippus, we don't know 
uh, hardly anything about Archippus. We'll meet him. We'll get a little more information next week and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. We don't know what that ministry is, but apparently he was either unwilling or unable to do it. Apparently unwilling because here Paul is is giving him encouragement to do what the Lord had called him to do. We don't know what that was, but Archippus knew was that knew what that was. And apparently the church knew what that was. And now there is this public encouragement on the part of Paul. So there's a, some pressure here. Archippus, make sure you fulfill your ministry in the Lord. And everybody is hearing this both in Colossae and in Laodicea. So who is Archippus? We don't know much about him. But he has, appears as a man who had received a call from God that he was reluctant to fulfill. And then we have verse 18. I... Paul, we have Paul's final greeting. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now, what does that mean? What do you mean with your own hand? Well, normally, people didn't write letters with their own hands. They used secretaries. Maybe Timothy was the secretary here. But here, Paul took the stylus in his own hand, and he wrote the final words. There was a need to do that. If you look at the end of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 17, Paul wrote there, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. And so here there was a, a need for Paul to authenticate. Apparently there were some false letters in Paul's name. And so he, he took the stylus in his hand and he wrote the final words as an authentication of this letter. But he wrote very little here. I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Maybe that's why he wrote so little. Maybe his hands were chained. Maybe this is all he could get out. But whether his hands were chained, he certainly was chained in some part of his body. He was, he was imprisoned. And he was saying, Remember my chains. Now, previously, when he asked for prayer, he asked for prayer that the gospel would go forth from him and that he would preach clearly as he should preach. But here he says, remember my situation as well, apparently asking for prayer for his situation as being in prison. And then he ended the way he began. If you look at the very beginning of Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then he ends, grace be with you. This is the shortest version. Sometimes he extends that. He, 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 he builds that out. He, he amplifies. But here apparently with very little freedom or ability to write, he got right to the point. He ended where he started. He said, grace be with you. So who's Paul? Who's Paul in this letter? Paul appears as a man wholly given over to the service of the Lord, whatever that might cost, even imprisonment. And why did he do it? Because of the grace that was shown to him when he himself was an enemy of the cross. He knew what that word meant. He knew what favor from God meant when he was an enemy of Jesus Christ and persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And God intervened in his life and showed him his grace 
showed him his favor. And so Paul was a man all about grace because he had received grace and his mission was to get that grace to all. Grace be with all of you. This word, this word explains uh, Paul's life. This word explains the, the message of this letter. This word explains the message of the New Testament. This word summarizes the message of the Bible. Grace be with you. God's favor be with you. And grace always, always comes in in the context of sin. Without sin, there's no need for grace. And so the idea of grace presupposes that there's a problem. Grace be with you. Why with you? Well, because you have the same problem that Paul has. You have the same problem that I have. You, you because of your sin, have, have alienated yourself from God. And so he says, grace to you. This is what you need. You need God's favor. You need his favor in spite of your sin, his favor toward sinners. And how does God show that favor toward sinners? Most dramatically, most amazingly, most shockingly, by sending his own son who gave his life on the cross, who rose from the dead and gives eternal life to all who believe in him. That's grace. That's the grace that, that, that Paul is wishing to all the readers of this letter throughout the centuries. Grace to you. Now, this is really the understanding, the key to understanding this final section on greetings. We might wonder, why so much emphasis on greeting? Why take up all this space to, to talk about individuals, to, about their details? Because this word brings it all together. What do we see here? We see a list of names, a little bit of description about each one of those. But most of them are described as trophies of God's grace. If you find anything in this list that is amiss, maybe in the life of Demas, maybe some reluctancy in the part of, of Archippus, well, it'd be good to avoid those things for sure. And if you find anything admirable in Tychicus or in Aristarchus or in Mark or in Luke or in Epaphras, by all means, do all you can to, to imitate those, those examples. But, but don't forget from where that all came. It came from grace. Grace is the explanation of Paul. Grace is the explanation of Aristarchus. Grace is the explanation of Tychicus. And as we'll see, the explanation of Onesimus. Grace is the explanation for, for Luke. Grace is the explanation for Epaphras. It's the explanation for Archippus. And apparently grace is that which, which Demas walked away from. Grace to all of you. Grace to all of you. If, if you find something worth imitating here Excellent. Do all you can to do it, but go back to the source. Make sure you know where it came from. Make sure you know where to get this, because it's only grace that can make new people like these. I just finished yesterday a, a new history of the history of uh, it's the history of Cuba. And it was it was just published this year. So it comes all the way up to to President Biden. So it's a very, very up-to-date history, and it's it's a fascinating read. But there's a chapter called New Humans. New humans, because that was the that was the socialist agenda. They were going to transform humanity. That was Che Guevara. He wanted to he wanted to transform the Cuban people into new people. And the way to do that was through socialism. But the project failed. Every human project will fail. Every ism will fail. There will be no way to make new human people apart from this word. Grace to you, 
grace to you. This is the only way. This is why we have these new humans here who are given over not to self-interest and and pursuit of their their own little kingdoms, but pursuit of the kingdom of God. This is is how there were people who were willing to to go to prison to serve other people, to get the gospel out. These people, what, what made them the way they are? Well, the same thing that can make you the way you're designed to be. The same, same thing that can make you into the person that God is calling you to be. Grace to you. Grace to you. And grace to you. Let's pray. Oh God, grace. We need it, Lord. We sang about it. We read about it. We want to experience your grace. We need your grace, oh God, because we are sinners. And we cannot bootstrap ourselves into being new people We can't ism ourselves into being new people. We can't work our way into being new people. We need to be transformed by your grace, that grace that we see in Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, who gave himself to to save us from our sins, to give us eternal life, and to transform us as we're united to him, as we die to that old self as we've seen, as we're risen to newness of life. And we pray, O God, that even as we see in in this list of folks here in these greetings, we pray that it would be evident to us and evident to others that your grace is operating in our lives. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.